the joke that uh, we've had when, uh, when I was going to uh, school and also working at the city of Champaign, if you're sitting at a bar stool uh, at the bar there at Pia's, uh, the, the, okay, the bar there on Springfield Avenue, when you're sitting at that bar stool, you are at the same elevation as the city attorney on the fifth floor of the city building. So what you're saying is if the city attorney is having a bad day and cracks a cold one on the fifth floor <laughs> and you, and I walk out of Pia's and raise my glass to him or her. You could toast it. <laughs> hey, it's Steve. And I realized for the third time since the uh, the podcast launch, bees are a topic again. Uh, this time it's completely accidental. But in show 7489, Shane Coulter mentioned Country Arbor's new honey products. Show 7495, I chatted with Casey Nelson of Two Million Blooms. And now, while I had no intention of talking bees, my guest, Dennis Schmidt, has taken up beekeeping as a hobby in retirement. So we're going to talk a few minutes about bees. And then we're going to jump into how unflat East Central Illinois is and what the bar Pia's has to do with how unflat it is. Uh, I think I mentioned this a couple of episodes back. I have notes and audio going back from almost the beginning of the show. And unsurprisingly, one year ago on Holstein and Company, the topic was the pandemic. Uh, I was talking about this story out of Spain. This is crazy. Here's the headline. Man busted for taking his fish on a walk during pandemic. The story read, in Spain, a man was trying to take advantage of a rule allowing pet owners to leave their homes so that the pets can relieve themselves. The man was busted for taking his pet fish on a walk in its bowl. Police tweeted a picture of the suspect sitting on a bench with his finned friend. Uh, the previous month, police in Spain caught a man in a T-Rex costume roaming the city streets. Probably what would make the story even better would be uh, police busting a guy in a T-Rex costume while carrying his goldfish. Uh, in the email inbox, a question from Gregory who says, My family enjoys listening to your show every week when it comes out. And my young son asked, If I knew where your studio is, keep doing what you're doing because we learn something new every week. Gregory, thanks for emailing and uh, thanks to you and your family for listening every week. And my studio is in the basement. I've got a nice office space down here. i got a couch. i got a big screen TV, a big desk. And my laptop. I've got a um, a laptop that does everything. It is a workhorse. I do all of my writing on it, all of my images, all my graphics, stuff for my business, uh, and the podcast. I've got a USB microphone, plug it in, and I just start recording. And I've even recorded parts of this show sitting in the front seat of my car a few episodes back when I interviewed my mom about uh, learning how to find her podcast app on her iPad. That was actually done with two iPhones sitting in the front seat of the car. It just worked out that I uh, had a creative kind of burst of energy and decided to give her a call. But you can record from anywhere these days. All you need is, a, you know, like I said, a laptop or even just an iPhone. So Gregory, thanks again to you and the family for listening. And now let's talk to Dennis Schmidt. Hello? Hello, is this the Dennis Schmidt, former public works director for the city of Champaign? That's correct. That's who you're talking to. <laughs> How you doing, Steve? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing just great. Yeah. And I said former because you're retired. You know, I don't know. You're young. So retired seems too strong a word. It sure feels right, though, to be honest with you. It's uh, nice to adjust to retirement. Okay. 
I did not know this about you, but we have a mutual friend, uh, my friend John, and th- I think he's the one who mentioned that you are into beekeeping. Yeah, that's uh, something my wife got me started into. I really think she was concerned about what I was going to do when I was retired. I want to say I've been doing this now for about three years at this point in time, still learning a lot about the uh, beekeeping business, trying to keep it down to maybe one to two hives, what I like to try to keep for the most part. So, Well, if you go back a few episodes on the podcast, I was talking with Casey with Two Million Blooms. I listened to that one. Yes, that was, <laughs> that was very interesting. Did you learn anything from that or did you kind of already know? Every time I listened to somebody, in fact, I was actually listening listening to a, a podcast from a gentleman that I took a, a class with on beekeeping this morning, walking around. So I learned something new about beekeeping every day, to be honest with you. I'm not sure I'm ever going to master the uh, art of it for the most part. They're amaz- amazing little creatures, to say the least. Okay, so, I want I do want to talk about your your role as the former public works director, and I have specific questions. But since we're on beekeeping, what was, you've been at it for a few years, what was the most interesting thing that you learned when you got into beekeeping? I think the thing that I, I've i been amazed about is the number of bees that it actually takes. I think a bee and is a female worker bee through the course of her life, which is somewhere between, oh, I think 36 to 45 days or something like that, that the most honey that that bee will produce is something like a half a teaspoon of honey. Just recently, this uh, spring, I harvested over 40 pounds of honey from uh, my two hives. And just thinking about that in terms of how many bees had to contribute to that 40 pounds was is just a staggering number. So I think that's the one thing that it's amazing what one little person, what one little bee does, but yet cumulative of what they can then produce with respect to a hive. You know that sounds like a it sounds like a really good retirement hobby. It really, and I'm being serious. It, it really does. Plus, I, I can tell you're all in because whenever you start subscribing to podcasts on your favorite topics, <laughs> am I right? Yes, exactly right. You're right. Well, well I, I can't learn enough. And then strange things happen to my hive. And so that makes you even want to learn more to try to come up with an explanation of how you can improve the next time on things. And I'm only going to share that I share this very uh, only with a very few people. I've been doing this for three years. And yes, I, I do get a queen. I purchase it and it goes into the hive and then the bees themselves produce additional queens uh, when the original queen doesn't uh, do what she's supposed to be doing or she starts to lose her uh, her skills of laying eggs. Once I put that high, uh, queen in the hive, to this day, three years, I have searched for queens and hives and I'm yet to find one at this point in time. <laughs> you t- I, I see evidence that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing because you can see the legs, uh, the eggs in the various stages of, of development. So you know the queen's doing something and obviously your population is increasing all the time. So that tells you that you know they're not moving in. Uh, there's, there's only one way that the numbers increase. The queen's doing her job and she's doing it well. But I would just, if nothing else, I would like to be able to uh, acknowledge the, the existence and see one and thank her for what she's doing. <laughs> Someday you're going to actually find the queen and you're going to be talking to the queen and you're going to be like trying to take a selfie with it. And your wife is going to be like, Dennis, what are you doing? I found the queen. I found the- <laughs> Oh, believe me, if I find that queen and I don't bring her down to the hive immediately so she can see it as well, I'm in a lot of trouble at that point in time. Yeah, so anyway. you have two you have you have two two wives. You have your your actual right. married wife and then you have the queen and she's tired of hearing about the queen. So find the queen already, get the picture and then let's let's go out to dinner. So Dennis, you're the former public works director and um I I walk every morning. I'm a pretty avid walker. I see things I've never seen on just about every walk, but 
one thing I see all the time is the change in elevation around the cities of Champaign and Urbana. And, and it, you know, we always think of this area as flat. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was talking to, um, you know, this friend, John, that you and I both know, and he said, you should talk to Dennis, the former public works director, about this, because he would probably have some things to share. John used to, in his role, used to work with you, I know, uh, for the company he worked for. So let's let's get a little geeky here and talk about elevation in Champaign and Champaign County, if you could. Sure. You're absolutely correct. When you look at, or you always hear about how flat uh, central Illinois is, but uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, there's a great deal of elevation uh, in the community. In fact, I hate to say this exactly, but really for the most part, the Champaign-Urbana area, when it comes to drainage, is kind of located on top of a hill. We're on a crest here in Champaign County. It all has something to do with the ice ages, ice age and moving uh, soil and rocks and everything else. But really, we're, we sit at a uh, on, on a hill, and that's one reason why, But especially when you speak in of drainage terms, while when you know, unlike uh, St. Louis or other communities that are along river where they'll have flood stages and it goes on for days and weeks at a time, if we ever do have a flood event here in uh, central Illinois, Champaign County specifically, it only lasts for a few hours. You have five or six hours. And the reason why is because we're really the headwaters of uh, a number of uh, drainage systems here in uh, Champaign County because we are located on a hill or a crest, if you want to call it that, in central, central Illinois. I think I, I, we talked talked earlier at one point in time about the fact that uh, how this all works uh, is we have watersheds. There's six of them that serves the Champaign-Urbana area. And really, what what we're really just talking about is this is a drainage basin, and uh, you know, water runs downhill. What doesn't get absorbed, I should say, in the ground runs downhill. Yes, we have inlets and storm sewers that help make that go faster, but all of it eventually ends up going into creeks and channels that are in each of these uh, drainage basins. You know, you've heard of some of them. You've heard something referred to as the Boneyard Creek. Well, there's a Boneyard Creek watershed that is the uh, main way for stormwater to leave. Really, for the most part, almost all of Urbana and sixty percent of the city of Champaign, the water that runs off runs down into the Boneyard Creek and then is transported out to the river system for the state of Illinois and then eventually into the waters of the United States as well. And another interesting fact with all this is that the Boneyard Creek eventually drains to the Wabash and then to the Ohio River, okay? But you've also probably heard of another one that's often talked about here is the Finney Branch, which drains most of southwest Champaign. Southwest, uh, the Finney Branch eventually drains into the Cass and into the Mississippi River. So that's once again the illustration of how we're on the divide here. The water from a majority of Champaign and Urbana ends up going to the Ohio River, but southwest Champaign, Savoy, and further areas southwest ends up going into the Mississippi River. And the two two waters don't meet until you get all the way down to Cairo, where uh, the Ohio joins the uh, Mississippi River. So that's another reason, another benefit of living here in central Illinois that we're on that crest. And we're really the headwaters of uh, a number of river systems in the state of Illinois. Yeah. So what are those? So besides Finney and Boneyard, what are the the others? The other ones, uh, we got Beaver Lake is uh, another area. You've also probably heard of the uh, Fountainhead or the Copper Slough. That's four of them. Then there's the Kaskaskia, which is in southwest Champaign. And then you've probably also heard of the Umbra is the, another one. In fact, uh, the Champaign-Urbana area is the headwaters of the Umbra uh, River as well. So those are the five or the six half dozen uh, different drainage basins that we have here that uh, move stormwater from the uh, metropolitan area. Can you sort of officially declare what the highest point in Champaign-Urbana and or Champaign County would be? 
my best guess, if I had to look at it, was the part would be Parkland Ridge up there. But basically, where Parkland College uh, sits on top of, that's probably the highest area up there. That's a part of the headwaters of the uh, Copper Slough at that point in time. The high point for the, or the dividing point where water kind of crowns a portion of it on one side of the intersection goes one direction, another portion goes somewhere else is the intersection of Springfield and Mattis Avenue is also another high point. That's, that's the high point of the Boneyard Basin and, uh, and also the high point of the Finney Branch. Uh, that intersection, water on the southwest side drains to the Finney, uh, the northeast is, uh, drains into the Boneyard Creek, uh, and it kind of runs along that area as well. So maybe the joke that uh, we've had when, uh, when I was going to uh, school and also working at the city of Champaign, if you're sitting at a bar stool uh, at the bar there at Pia's, uh, the, the, okay, the bar there on Springfield Avenue, when you're sitting at that bar stool, you are at the same elevation as the city attorney on the fifth floor of the city building. So that really tells you how much relief there is just from and from that distance. And, and I must admit, when somebody told me that, I had to go check the maps on that. And sure enough, that's exactly what it is. There's about a 70 feet of fall from that uh, bar stool and at Pia's uh, to the uh, city building uh, by the time uh, uh, they're on, uh, on, what is it, Neal and University Avenue. So what you're saying is if the city attorney is having a bad day and cracks a cold one on the fifth floor <laughs> and and I walk out of Pia's and raise my glass to him or her. You could toast him. You could toast him and her and they will toast me right back. Okay. You bet. Yeah. Exactly. Then it continu- t- continues to get even lower as you, as you go into Urbana because obviously the Boneyard Creek uh, runs from west to east. And so as it passes through the university and then through the city of Urbana, you're losing elevation even more as you go further east as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as Champaign-Urbana goes, what would be one of the lowest points? I'm going to guess, I'm, I mean, I'm just thinking of like uh, in Urbana in front of the schnooks there under the viaduct. I, every time I go under that, I think to myself, this has got to be the lowest point in the Twin Cities. You're very close to it. The lowest point, there's a reason why the, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar where the Northeast Wastewater Treatment Plant is for the Urbana-Champaign Sanitary District, but it's a little bit, it's over there where the uh, Illinois uh, Armory is. It's just east of that on University Avenue. You know where the park uh, used to be? I think it used to be called Woodland Park, and I think it's now called, uh, there's another name to it right now, but uh, that's where the the wastewater treatment plant is. And uh, there's a good reason why the wastewater treatment plant's at the low point, but that is definitely one of the lowest areas uh, because everything, all the wastewater drained to that direction for uh, treatment purposes. So that is definitely very near the low point in the Champaign-Urbana area. Yeah. I mean, obviously, nobody cares too much about elevation until their basement floods. And then <laughs> and then they go out and they check their gutters and they make sure they're, they're you, you can always tell when people have recently had water in their basement because you'll see one of the vans outside their house with the uh, the van sucking all the water out and cleaning up their basement. That's right. And then days later, you see the 10-foot extensions of their gutters going out of their property. And that, that continues for a period of time uh, until uh, you know everybody gets used, until they get annoyed with it, then they quit doing that, and everything's fine for a few years. And then once again, we get one of those heavy rainstorm events, and, uh, and then everybody restarts everything again. But folks have a short memory, that's for sure. You know, the timing on this podcast episode is pretty good because uh, spring and early summer, well, even right in through summer, you know, we'll have those occasional three, four inch rains yep. and we'll see, we'll see giant, you know, lakes on the sides of busy streets, you know, where the, uh, the storm drains can't keep up. What's going on there when that happens? Yeah, what's going on there is uh, there's just not adequate capacity uh, in the storm sewer system 
you know, as you mentioned, there's street. If there's curbs on the street, then uh, that means there's a storm sewer in there someplace. There's inlets and storm sewers. And what ends up happening here uh, when we get uh, those flooded street conditions is the uh, water is coming down. And, and I'm going to assume that there's nothing blinding over the top of the inlet. But uh, basically, uh, Mother Nature can definitely put it down uh, much heavier than uh, the storm sewer system can carry it away. And so that's what, what happens is the water starts to pond. The, the pipes fill up first. The water starts to pond at the inlet. Uh, if it continues to uh, build up, uh, then obviously it then gets out into the flooded streets and uh, has to happen then is uh, the system has to you know, the rain's got to stop and the uh, system has to adjust itself and uh, drain itself down. And uh, the last thing to drain will be that flooded street at that point in time. So that's what's going on at that point in time. So every time a building is added somewhere, whether it's a housing development or a new office building or, uh, you know, a 10 story high rise for student housing, I mean, water, you know, and storm drainage has got to be factored in. Right. And, and I imagine that there are limits that are placed, or does it really not matter that much because the same amount of water is coming down and just it's coming off of a roof instead of a smaller roof? That's exactly what uh, happened. Uh, to answer your question, it, it kind of de- uh, it's maybe there's two parts to it, and I got to change locations. But especially in the campus town area, that area was a hundred percent impervious anyway. In other words, uh, you know, it's all kind of. Cr- in other words, it's, it's building materials the constructed with b- building materials there that don't, don't absorb any water. And what they've done is they've tore them down and they've just built the same thing there and it's still impervious. So really, for the most part, the stormwater uh, in that area is uh, not affected at all by the massive amount of development. Uh, That's not the case, obviously, for the sanitary sewer system. Uh, Obviously, the more people you put in there, there's more wastewater produced. But stormwater-wise, there's really, really very, very little effect uh, at all. And... uh, and if you're a longtime resident uh, here, uh, you re- you probably can remember when the viaducts flooded, uh, when uh, there used to be flooding uh, at Green and Forth due to the Boneyard Creek. In fact, you used to be able to uh, canoe, uh, students uh, canoed uh, there at the uh, intersection of uh, uh, Green and Forth. And all that disappeared with the Boneyard improvements. And that was prior to any of that development taking place. And all with, even with all the development uh, that's occurred there, you haven't seen any of that reappear with respect to flooding viaducts or uh, the intersection of Green and Forth or any of those intersections flooding. So that's a testament that uh, really the stormwater, what they built there has not increased any of the stormwater production whatsoever. When you go into um, a development, though, of, uh, we'll say, uh, farm fields, that's a whole different story. There's some strict uh, guidance that developers have to construct to. And basically, these, the long and the short of the whole thing is uh, there's a reason why there's uh, lakes built with all these sub- subdivisions. Uh, Yes, it's an amenity uh, for the some of the residents, but it's a major feature in the stormwater for that subdivision because what they're required to do is they cannot release any more water from those developments than what was produced when, when it was farmland. So they've got to mimic the pre-existing condition with their development, and there's only one way to do that, and that's to build a detention basin and store the water in the detention basin and then release it at a very slow rate after the rainstorm event's over. And our detention basins have been done very, very nice. They look like they, well, they really are. They've been turned into parks with giant lakes. That's exactly right. At last count, I think there were uh, 170 some, maybe there might be even up to 200 lakes in subdivisions uh, in just the city of Champaign. So it's a major component of the stormwater management in the community. And obviously, it's uh, obviously helped with the uh, management of the stormwater as well. Okay. Dennis, before I let you go, what got you interested and, and led you down the path to the director of public works, now retired, but what led you down that path? What got you interested in that? 
Well, I think public service. I spent 38 years of my career, seven years in private practice when I first got graduated from the University of Illinois. And then after that, I got into uh, public service and I spent a total of 23 16 of which was uh, a public works director for the city of Champaign. And then I spent uh, the other uh, 15 or so plus years, uh, 15, 16 years in the wastewater business with the Urbana-Champaign Sanitary District as well. But I guess uh, my uh, I've got a bachelor's degree in uh, civil engineering uh, from the U of I, and then I've also got a master's. And my master's was in, was uh, environmental specialty. And uh, so I've always liked working uh, in, in environmental things. Stormwater fits that. Uh, wastewater fits that. And then uh, I've always liked the uh, public service. Uh, it's a very challenging aspect. You know, there was uh, been some real challenges on the Boneyard Creek. Um, I had a, I played a role in uh, coming up with the uh, the overall plan for uh, solving that drainage problem, the Finney Branch as well. And uh, so there was, there was some nice cha- civil engineering challenges uh, there. And uh, I got to participate that and that uh, turned out to be very rewarding to say the least. And in Garden Hills, I don't know how involved you were because you had shifted, but I mean, that, that all started to be studied back in what, 2015 or something, right? Yep, exactly. Garden Hills is a little bit different than uh, some of the, like the Boneyard uh, drainage problems. Uh, There was a development uh, that had been built in this community. We can go to numerous areas and see this where they didn't build any stormwater infrastructure whatsoever. Garden Hills is an excellent example that was built outside the city of Champaign uh, at the time. It was later annexed into the city of Champaign. But there's areas... uh, for example, around Hessel Park, for example, just take a look at that someday. You, again, you'll when you drive, I've given you the tip there, when you drive on a street and there's no curb and gutter at all, there's also probably in, more, in all likelihood there are no storm sewers there as well. And we have areas like that. And uh, Garden Hills is going to be uh, an interesting project where, because what we're really, what the city's going to go in there is not only address the uh, stormwater issue, but they'll uh, also end up transforming every. Obviously, if they build a large storm sewer system there, the streets aren't going to uh, hold up and uh, the existing streets are. So the new streets are going to have to get built. They're going to put sidewalks in there and uh, street lights. And it's going to be transformative to that community. And uh, what we've seen with other large, uh, the city's seen with large infrastructure projects that we've done over the years. If the municipality uh, makes this large financial contributions, a lot of times uh, the private sector, the homeowners, will then reinvest in their properties as well. And we've seen that uh, up there with Washington Street West and uh, Washington Street East as well, a a stormwater project. So that's what the real hope is with Garden Hills is uh, that'll uh, transform that area and uh, help uh, improve it as well. So from that standpoint. Yeah, it's fascinating to imagine a time when Garden Hills was not a part of Champaign because it feels like it has been forever. But, you know, if you lived there, you're frustrated with water. And as a city official, you're like, we want to do what we can. We are working on that. But you got to remember that when Garden Hills was developed, it wasn't part of Champaign. So we were not involved in the process of, uh, you know, storm drainage. Exactly. And when I left, but uh, retired, I think they're all total, there was something around 80 to $100 million worth of stormwater projects that have been de- determined uh, needed in the city of Champaign. And uh, that's what the real issue is uh, here sometimes with Garden Hills is the fact that, boy, you know, everybody else has waited for their project to come up and, uh, you know, everybody needs to wait their turn. And the real question is uh, with their annex sometime in the 70s, there's been areas with drainage problems in the city of Champaign for a longer period of time than Garden Hills. And that's what the issue was there. Yeah. Okay. So you brought it up real quick. One more question here with regard to like Hessel Park. You're right. There are no curbs, no storm drains. So the water just sort of has to kind of work its way into the ground naturally then, right? 
or runs downhill. And uh, if you've ever seen Hessel Park after a heavy rainstorm event, uh, the park district's done its best uh, with that. But uh, that's the low area, and a lot of that runs down into that low area as well. But you're absolutely right. Uh, other areas, uh, you just have to wait till things uh, dry up and go down uh, from that standpoint. And uh, the area just south of that, I don't, I'm not sure what the name of that area is exactly of, of Hessel Park uh, as well. If you drive in that neighborhood, you'll see that there's no, uh, it's just a oil and chip street there as well, no sidewalks, and uh, there is no uh, storm sewer system there uh, as well. Dobbins Down is another area that, even though that's not in the city of Champaign, uh, but uh, you drive that area, you'll see the same thing as well. And uh, so there's a, a number of areas for uh, that don't have a storm sewer system that were developed with uh, no storm sewer system, and that presents a real problem uh, to a community that's uh, trying to uh, improve the infrastructure, to say the least. It's very, it's expensive putting in storm storm sewers. It's really expensive if you want to try to retrofit a neighborhood uh, with a storm sewer system after it's been built. Dennis Schmidt, the former public works director for the city of Champaign, now retired, now searching for his queen bee. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) And I will find it eventually, okay? All right, Dennis, thank you again for being on with me. This was Holstein and Company's show 7,500. That's amazing. Hey, I got a newsletter. It's free. I send out uh, interesting things about the show, but also interesting stories and links like the uh, the pet fish story that I had at the beginning of this show. Subscribe for free at Holstein.co. That's H-O-L-S-T-E-I-N dot C-O. You could uh, email me from the website also, or you can just send me an email, steve at Holstein.co. I am Steve Holstein. This was the Holstein Company podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a great week.